0: All right, I'm here again. Hey, happy Father's Day to all you dads. I, I just wanna remind you that one of, uh, of all days today, uh, this is definitely the case, uh, but it is your responsibility to do something with your, ki- if your father, to do something with your kids today that scares other adults, okay? Particularly their mother. You need to do something risky with them. Um, let them go out in the garage and play with your power tools without watching them. You know, do, do something like that, give them a nail. And a hammer, and let them put it somewhere uh, wherever they want to, or that kind of thing. Let them do something risky. Uh, it's our jobs as dads to raise uh, kids that do dumb stuff sometimes. I mean, that's kind of the part of the legacy that we leave. We want to raise them to be bold, right? And that's what we're talking about this morning as we jump into Acts chapter 3. Each week, we are using one word to help us understand what Acts is all about. So the first. Sunday, anybody remember what that word was? Nah. Yes, wait. Yes, good job. Somebody got it over here. The second week, it was helper. Yes, that was just last week. Great job. And today, we are talking about boldness in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. As we move into chapter 3, let me give you just kind of a quick check-in on the church. Uh, At the end of Acts chapter 2, we read the phrase, "...and the Lord added daily..." the number of people who were being saved. I mean, the church is doing fantastic. It's doing great. After this day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people were baptized on that day, and the church had started. They were meeting together. They were sharing meals together. They were being taught by the apostles what it meant to live like Jesus, and they were spreading the word about Jesus' resurrection like crazy, just like the church is still today, right? I mean, this is a great start. And, of course, everything that starts well is just going to continue being amazing, and it's going to be just like that all throughout history. Well, maybe maybe not quite. In fact, I don't know that it's ever been true about Christianity. It's ever seemed like it's been easy and things were always just like, oh, man, thousands of people are coming, and this is, this is amazing. There are moments in history, sure, when that happens, but not necessarily every day. So we go back to Chapter 3. And we see the first bit of friction that the church encounters. Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest followers, are going to the temple to pray at three in the afternoon. As they go, there's a lame man who is every day gets carried to the spot and he begs for money like many people would who were in that situation at that day and time. And he asks Peter and John to stop and give him money. And Peter and John... I'm sure you've had an experience where somebody's asked you to stop and give them money, and you can think back at how your reaction would be. Peter and John stop, and they look at this guy, and they say, hey, look at us. Listen up. We're going to tell you something. You, ever, uh, you know somebody who you talk to them, they always bring the conversation back to the same thing every time? Like you ever met anybody who, who, uh, who does CrossFit? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, some of you know what I'm talking about, where it doesn't matter what the conversation is about or what the, I mean, you're, somehow you're going to hear about CrossFit and the CrossFit gym and the CrossFit and and WODs, I think, are one of the things that, I don't even know all the nomenclature and stuff, I've like, got some friends that I've heard it a lot of times, but I've kind of tuned them out uh, just, just a little, bit. you think, man, is this some kind of religion or something like, what, what's going on here, and I, I, actually I think it a little is a, a little bit, but I, I, well, that's a whole nother illustration, but Peter and John, I mean, this guy, you know, is is saying, Hey, uh, I need some money, and so would you help me out with this? And he's got this guy's attention. How many times have, you know, people just ignored him and walked past him? And Peter and John look look at him and say, You know what? We got something for you. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Peter says, Silver or gold I don't have. And this guy's thinking, So why are you talking to me? You're wasting my time. But what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. All right, regardless of what you may think about that passage or what you believe about the truth of the Bible or what you think about God or anything like that, I'm asking you to to hear what's happening here is that there's this man who could not walk before that Peter and John give him not what he asked for, but what he desperately would love to have in life, maybe something that he has given up on on this time and he gets up he's walking he is leaping he's praising God and this gets the attention of everybody around him here's this guy that everybody recognized there's probably a spot that you go maybe on your way to work where there's a a homeless person or somebody that you just you know hey that's the person who's there every day and if you saw them in a different context you would recognize them but you would think man what's going on here and this is what happens in this moment, around the temple, this guy is walking, leaping, and praising God, and people take note of it. They see that this guy, who could not walk before, was walking, and they recognize something miraculous has happened. A real, live healing. They were astonished, and people began to gather around Peter and John. Now, Peter and John at this point could say, pretty cool, huh? We got some other tricks, too. There's some other things we could do as well. But Peter and John, just like in chapter 2, when something miraculous was happening because God was moving through his Holy Spirit, Peter and John take the attention off themselves and put it back on Jesus. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, they respond to the people who've gathered around them and he tells them about Jesus, he shares the gospel with them, and he says, Repent then, here's the conclusion, just like in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, this is what, this is what most people are really after. is this forgiveness from God, their sins wiped away, even if they don't necessarily think in terms like that, because not everybody comes to church and and talks the way we do sometimes about what our actual spiritual issue between us and God is, but for our sins to be washed away and our lives to be refreshed in the midst of God. And so my question is for us, as we talk about boldness and what it looks like to be a part of the church, is, is this the message that our lives are sharing with other people? Are we boldly proclaiming this message of, hey, God has created a way for us to be forgiven and it will bring refreshing to your soul in your life it's easy to discount people because of our prejudices you know this is a lame guy that most of us would you know somebody asks us for money I don't know what your reaction is but mine is primarily to say no I I, I probably heard the story before and to move on but this is not what Peter and John do they say no what you really need is Jesus and it can be easy to discount people because of our prejudices against their faith or their race or their social or economic status or their political views or because they have bad taste in the music or because their timing is inconvenient. You know, Peter and John, they were, they were going to pray to God. I mean, that, that was important, right? They could have just blown this guy off and gone on. Or maybe sometimes it's just tough to take the focus off of ourselves and point people to Jesus. Peter is suggesting, Peter and John are sharing with his people that miraculous life change shouldn't be surprising to them because of what God does for us through Jesus. And this moment's pretty fantastic. Everyone's having a great time. There there are 5,000 people at this point, as you read through the text, that respond to this preaching of the gospel, but not everyone was happy with Peter and John. See, there were religious leaders of the day. Uh, Sadducees, and maybe you've heard that word before, and they didn't like what Peter and John were doing for a couple of different reasons. One, this whole idea of resurrection, Jesus coming back from the dead and and God offering resurrection to us, this was not a um, not only a message that they liked, but not even something they believed in. They didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in heaven and hell. That was why they were so sad, you see. There you go. Now you have a little memory peg there to remember what the Sadducees were all about. But they had another issue, too. One of the common teachings of the day was that if, you had, if your life wasn't perfect and you didn't have a lot of money and you didn't have the social economic standing that was desirable of the day, for example, if you were lame or if you were poor, then God was punishing you for that. There's some sort of sin in your life. There was some sort of sin in your parents' life, or maybe your grandparents' life, whatever that was. They saw your social and economic status as a, as a result of some sort of thing that God was punishing you for. And there's a problem here because Peter and John takes away that punishment. And so they see Peter and John and they're thinking, man, or you know, yeah, they just did this miraculous thing and, and that's great and everything, but man, God is. God has punished this person, right? I mean, this is something they they can't get through their heads that they believe something wrong about God for so long. And while the crowd was celebrating, the temple leadership has questions. And so what they do is they put Peter and John under arrest, and they throw them in jail. They let them sleep on it. And then the next day, in Acts chapter 4, the elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? If you think back a little bit further, as Luke is writing this, he's giving us these names on purpose because they're the same names that were involved with Jesus' trial and execution. And so Peter and John are brought before the same leadership that has just executed Jesus, the person who they are preaching to people and so this would be a very intimidating moment in trial for Peter and John but then something happens that Jesus had promised a long time ago in Luke chapter 12 verse 11 Jesus told the apostles hey when you're brought before synagogues rulers and authorities do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say he's the helper God has given it given the Holy Spirit given him to us to help us in moments like this. And so in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but he doesn't stop there, whom you crucified, but he doesn't stop there, but whom God raised from the dead, that this this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, and salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then he's done. Drops the mic at this point. So these people who had just weeks ago executed Jesus because of what people were claiming about him and what Jesus said about himself. Peter and John stand before them and say, you know who enabled us to do this? The man you crucified. The man who resurrected from the dead. All the things that you don't want to hear, we're just going to stick it right here in front of you and let you do whatever you're going to do with it. In the eyes of the council, this was blasphemy. This was an immediate... I mean, the the punishment was immediate death at this point. It takes guts in this moment to do what they did. In fact, it takes boldness, taking action despite the risk. And here's what happens in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been standing, had been with Jesus. They're stunned. And, and verse 14, it gets even better. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. As quickly as the case began, it comes to a close. And so they, they tell them to leave the room. They're getting together and say, What are we going to do about this? We can't. There is evidence here that we can't do anything with. Everybody has seen it, everybody has responded to it. We don't like it, it doesn't fit in with our current uh uh, um, system of power (laughs) and and we don't want to lose that and so what are we going to do to hold on to the wealth and the power and the influence that we have over the people what what can we do about it they don't approve but they can't seem to fight it and here's um here's what they do in verse 18 in chapter 4 they call them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of jesus but here's their response which is right in god's eyes to listen to you or to listen to him you be the judges As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. This is boldness. This is true boldness. This is the boldness that we are empowered with by the Holy Spirit. And I get that sometimes we read these passages, and we've talked about this before, We think Peter and John, well, there's something different about them. There's there's something more special about them than us. I, I can't imagine putting myself in that situation. But I guarantee you if we had had some sort of security footage in the jail cell as they're waiting for the next day, they know exactly who they're going up against. They know exactly what happened to Jesus, that he was executed. But they also know that Jesus came back to life. And this is the same Jesus they've seen do miracles. It's the same Jesus that they followed and believed in and seen life change in their lives. And so even in the midst of this fear, even in the midst of this situation that they can't get out of, the death penalty that they knew was going to come. And it didn't come here, but it does come for them later. They would have been nervous. I mean, their first thought would not have been, oh, you know what we should do? We should just throw Jesus in their face. <laughs> like, that's, that's going to be the right response. But every opportunity that we're given for boldness comes with some sort of fear to be overcome. What you believe, though, and what you've experienced as a result of God, and that, that is what should inform you in how you behave. What has God done for you? What's the refreshing that he's brought in in your life? What's the healing that he's done for you? I mean, the removal of your sin is enough, but I know the effect has been much more than that. You think about people throughout history, I've been listening to some podcasts podcasts about uh, the civil rights movement uh, lately. And so, for example, you think of Rosa Parks in 1955 and she gets on the bus and she doesn't move and you think, man, how... how, how bold, right, because we know the whole story, uh, she goes to jail and, and there's risk involved and that kind of stuff, and how, how bold with that, but also how simple of a decision that it was to make, just to just to simply, right, I get, I get that there were laws and all that kind of stuff, but simply to do the right thing in that moment, and the boldness of how the waves of that, the ripple effect went throughout history just in those moments, it's I'm scared of the risk, and I know there's a risk there, but me doing this bold thing is worth the risk. I couldn't live with myself if I chose safety over the risk. And when it comes to being bold for God, boldness from the Holy Spirit empowers us to share the gospel of Jesus in both word and deed with no concern for the risk. This is not about risk management. This is not about risk mitigation. This is not about, you know, thinking, oh, well, I can, I can take on, you know, maybe the, the risk that's inherent in, in this decision, but not, not this one. No, it's no concern for the risk when it comes to being faithful to God, and here's why. Godly boldness empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Peter and John were unschooled men, fishermen from Galilee. Galileans were considered the backwoods hillbillies of the Jewish world. Yet they blew the minds of these leaders. They said, how in the world could these people be here talking like this and these miraculous things happening? Well, it's because of the Holy Spirit. God uses us, you and me, to do extraordinary things, even though we're just ordinary, everyday people. Secondly, this, is that godly boldness, be bold because godly boldness will amaze people. When it comes to talking about Jesus and to living with and for him, your boldness is worth the risk. And people will stop and they will take notice. The change that's inherent in your life, the way that you've been healed and given rest spiritually. It's not about your articulate words. It's not about your well-memorized, polished you know, thoughts that you can just recite. It's the fact that you believe what you're saying enough to say it and to share it and to put it into practice. Be bold because godly boldness comes from spending time with Jesus. See, this council looked at them and said, Man, these are unschooled, ordinary men, but they took note that they had spent time with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. And that's where you can start. Maybe you're, I mean, the disciples, they, they didn't start off being wholly convinced of everything that they believed in when it came to Jesus. It took time. It took moments for them to be with Jesus to see how he lived out his faith. It took, uh, it took years for them to get to the, this point and experiencing the resurrection of Jesus themselves before they were willing to be bold in this way. And so that's our encouragement as Christ followers. Maybe you don't feel bold and maybe you don't think, you know, well, I'm, I'm more ordinary than what you think I am, Rob. No, No, you just need to spend more time with Jesus because that's where your boldness will come from. What would it look like, for example, if we were all bold people when it came to our faith? What would it look like if we were all spending time with Jesus? What would it look like if we recognized that God empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things? What would it look like to know that the real thing that will amaze people and change their lives are not the things that we accomplish, but the fact that we know who Jesus is and we can share that with them, with our words and with our speech? Their early church, in the midst of early friction, decided to be bold and share Jesus. It was their favorite subject because of the life change they experienced, both spiritually and physically, when it came to God being involved in their lives. And no matter the risk, and we'll talk about this more next week when we talk about persecution, they took every opportunity they had to share it and talk about it. And remember where it all started. For Peter and John and meeting with this lame man and healing him, the Holy Spirit healing him through them, godly boldness came from the desire in Peter and John's life for others to experience the same refreshing from Jesus that they had. And we have that same opportunity. There are a lot of people who are tired of living the same old life and having the same old experiences. There are people that need to be healed spiritually, that need their sin to be wiped away, because that is really the issue in life. Is that what's, that's what keeps us separated from God, and we can share that message with boldness, that we can invite people to come to know the resurrected Christ, to experience resurrection in their own lives.